boys. I'm here to tell you about a sexy new offering from Joe's Shrimp Shack. And it's for a limited time only. Oh my God. Now until January 31st, you can get free shrimp bath water with your order and still get 15% off everything in the store by using promo code bathwater at checkout joeshrimpshack.com it's getting steamy in here one last thing before we start the podcast i'd like to ask you my listeners for story submissions we started story time series because you guys asked us for different stories for our hobbies because you loved our off-topic stories during the podcast and it's been a very successful bit we're on story time four was the last episode but the next story time that we want to do we want to read your stories so if you have a silly fish story or some experience that even lightly has to do with the hobby please submit your submissions to the aquarium guys email address go to aquariumguyspodcast.com in the on the website you'll find our email telephone number to send a text message or leave a voicemail we'll take youtube submissions we'll take any type of submission you want to send us and if we like yours the best not only will we show it on air but we may send you a great prize send in those stories and let's kick that podcast welcome to the aquarium guys podcast with your hosts Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Jimmy, you are in such a good mood. I, if I didn't know better, I'd say you got to kick a midget. I did not get to kick a midget, but that's what I want for Christmas. I, I don't know why that's a catchphrase for you, but it makes you smile even more. I told you why I wanted the midget, but I can't say on this podcast because it's too dirty. <laughs> Why? Because you wouldn't give me those midget wrestling tickets that you went to without me? I'm just, Anyways, uh, <laughs> back on topic midgets here. Midgets are people too, Jim. I, I just always wanted the midget because everything looks bigger in their hand. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm Rob Zolson. Hey, I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam Elnashar. Hey, Adam's here. So we have wonderful guests from Maryland uh, that have uh, decided to come and join us on their vacation. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Uh, cheers to you guys. We have Alyssa and Kapil from Alyssa's Seahorse Savvy. Hopefully I covered that correctly. You did. Good you job. got it. Thank you. I thought they bailed already. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm normally bad with names. I mean, if you listen to the no, podcast, you are bad with I'm names. horrible with names. I, it took me five times. I finally got Kapil's name knocked down. Yeah, we're hoping. It's a special one. Well, I'm special. Are you special, Kapil? I mean, you're on the podcast. Clearly you're special. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We are super excited. There is I, I, really nobody else better to talk to about seahorses than you guys. And trust me, I've done my homework. I have uh, reached out to uh, uh, to research because I know nothing about seahorses. I'm not going to lie to you. I know that you should not put a penny in the tank. I know that uh, the dudes are the ones You're that get, get to... <laughs> Adam, tell our tell our guest what happened when you put a yes, uh, pennies in it. Let's make fun I of us put first. pennies in the tank. What happened? Okay, recap, recap, recap. Okay, so I had I used to have a retail pet store, and I had a pair of seahorses, and they were a bonded mated pair, and the male had a pouch full of babies, and I wasn't going to sell them because the male had a pouch of babies, and this was like. I don't even know. A long, long time ago. Yeah, I was like 15 years ago now. 
in the lab and before time. This guy was pissed. He <laughs> wanted to buy my seahorses, and I'm like, I'm not selling you the seahorses. It was like to the end of my shop day. I closed at six, and I was there arguing with him. And <laughs> anyways, long story short, I come in the next morning, and my seahorses are dead because there's the little bastard threw pennies in my tank. And that's wow. back. That's back when pennies were actually made out of copper. Yes. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I remember. Well, it was only 82. So I was pissed. That's another sad, sad story from Adam. So regardless, I know very little about seahorses. So I had to come like from the complete outside and research who would be the best person to talk to. Because we do get a lot of questions about seahorses, especially since Adam had the sto- that story that uh, was ev- so ever popular. So again, happy to have you both on uh, finally. And uh, before we interview with you guys about you, your business and expertise in seahorses, we do have a couple questions. And please, Alyssa, Kapil, please join in if you have anything uh, to, to add to it or just make fun of us. Or if we're wrong, tell us we're wrong. I mean, that too. And that then, too. And then the interview will be over. First question was on our Facebook page. Uh, Daniel put, uh, okay, I need Jim or Adam's help. Rob's might know too. <laughs> right? So we, we so understand already, how things are classified. A vote of confidence already towards you. A vote of confidence. Uh, I'm looking for... I'm not going to pronounce it. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I know it as the Indonesian super dwarf fish. That is the common name. Never of heard it. of it. Uh, tiny little dot of a almost like a small scissor resbora, but like a little color. Okay. They're just, they're a blip. Uh, he says, I can, they're the smallest, he puts on here, the smallest fish in the world. I don't know if that's accurate at all. I know it's probably the smallest fish um, full grown in uh, aquarium hobby. Um, definitely tiny, but he says, I cannot find them online, uh, or local. So I'm asking your help for the guys' knowledge, uh, help an avid listener out. I'm based in Seattle. So we had some people message on the Facebook page trying to help out. Honestly, I went out looking cause I've seen these on lists rarely on uh, Seagrass before COVID. It was just sporadically. Maybe they'll have it for a week and then they're gone. There's some other wholesalers that have uh, offered it rarely from some of our international uh, lists, but I have yet to see it in a long time. And I'm pretty sure COVID is going to keep that wrapped up to bread and butter fish for most of the suppliers. So I think your best bet is trying to find some of these uh, people that really work well at oddball fish. Um, the wet spot. Uh, I believe that's in. That Russia. was, that was going to be my, my recommendation. Yeah. They, they do a good job because they, uh, they have a lot of weird oddball stuff and they pride themselves on oddball stuff. And I know that that's a reputable place. Um, honestly, this is an open forum. If you're listening, you know of some Indonesian super dwarf fish, uh, message the podcast. We will happily talk about it in the next pod, uh, podcast and, uh, let the people know where they can get this obscure fish. I think our best bet would be that maybe somebody personally has some and are willing to let some go. So maybe we can make that love connection for you. Heck there. yeah. Some guy sitting there in the tank full of them. He knows that no one else has them. It's like, ah, 50 bucks. And you're like, done, cash. Here you go. There we go. And then we get a 10% finder's fee. It's just, <laughs> just what we normally do. Just buy a hoodie. That's all we have. There we go. So do you guys uh, at uh, uh, the Seahorse Savvy do anything besides seahorses? We do um, seahorse-friendly tank mates. We don't breed them. Uh, we do corals and we do some inverts. We do have pet freshwater tanks and stuff, but we do not sell freshwater. I can't, I, I'm trying to stop myself from questions because immediately I go to what's seahorse friendly. 
But we're going to get to that. I'm going to pause, pause myself. I'm going to be a good boy, and we're going to do the interview later. <laughs> wow, that's a first you've ever stopped talking. I'm going to be a good yeah. boy. <laughs> Adam goes, yeah. While you guys are being <laughs> mean to rubs. Yeah, well, guess what? Stuck it in your stuffing. Well, you're, that's it. You're, you're, just, you're just happy because you actually got some Metamucil after your McRib runs. <laughs> he doesn't need Metamucil because of the McRib runs. No, I do oh. not. I actually needed to eat sawdust just to slow things down after eating McRibs. <laughs> Is that know? right? Oh, yeah. It helps tremendously. Just, just a little bit of cotton swabbing? Yeah, absolutely. All what, right. What else you got? We have some text messages. So, hey, guys. Uh, a breeding fish question. Do cherry shrimp eat fish eggs? I'm preparing a 20-gallon aquarium to breed bumblebee autosynclus and want to eliminate any threats to the eggs. Thanks. I would definitely not have cherry shrimp in there with them. No. So let's put it this way. Out of bumblebee a pole, autos, too. Jeez, that's difficult. Out of a totem pole of all things freshwater, cherry shrimp are the lowest of my list. But know that all eggs are delicious superfood that every fish will eat. I yeah. mean, honestly, any fish, any shrimp... They will go after them. Now, how much damage can a bunch of cherry shrimp do to a batch of eggs? Maybe they won't kill them all, but they'll, they'll certainly go after them. Well, even if they get the outside of them, you know, take that protective coating off of them, you're going to ruin a lot of eggs. 100%. You know, I would just do a, a species-specific tank and just do those autosynclus in there alone. So if you do get lucky and you, you get some eggs, that you'll have success. I have a friend in upstate New York that breeds all sorts of shrimp in the same tank he breeds his bristlenose plecos and he does he seems to have more than enough varieties of bristlenose plecos but i agree with you on on most most of the fish but cherry shrimp might eat their eggs yeah i have uh i'm looking at it actually right across the room here from a podcast studio I'm looking at a 90 gallon square that i have and i'm probably sitting on 2000 babies at this moment cuz i have like Three, four batches. There's another batch I found just for you, Jimmy, last night. I hate you so much. And the big thing is the adults protect them. I have all kinds of shrimp, all kinds of egg predators in there. And because they're in eggs, the adults protect them so well with bristlenose. Plus, they're in a cave. Right. And, and so when they're with those being in a cave, it's very hard for the shrimp to get in there because they're very protective and stuff. So you have somebody guarding the eggs. It's actually hard to get the adults to stop getting out of the cave and go feed after you strip a cave. So, yeah, I'm not even familiar how autosynclus breed. How, does anybody know how autosynclus breed? As far as I've understood, I thought that they always laid eggs on the glass. They, I think they breed similar to Corey's. Yeah. Okay. So they will so, stick their eggs to the glass. So they there you go. Yeah. So that would be hard for them to protect. So, yeah, I would definitely probably just skip the, and the as, cherry shrimp. What we call open and as far season. as I know, they don't protect. No. Farewell as well, but, and bristlenose as well, but I don't think autos do probably because they lay so many that they just don't. Well, they're lazy, too. Okay, yeah, that too. Just, just tell, tell them all how, how you feel. Is this the part where we play the theme from Jeopardy? Right. Holy crap. Do you have a stroke over there? Um, nope. Next one actually got uh, already answered. So we are, we're on top of the game, Jim. <laughs> wow. It is Christmas, so we all want to go out caroling later on. It is. Uh, speaking of which... Uh, have you decided if you want to do insult caroling with me this year? Insult caroling? Right. You saw what I did uh, the last time we were out in November, and uh, people had their Christmas lights up before Thanksgiving. I stopped and booed at people's houses. It was the best. We went out to eat, and you're driving along, you and your wife, and me and my wife are in the back seat, and we're having a good old time because we're. it's like, wow, we get to go to one meal in this whole COVID disaster. 
So we go out and you guys stop at a stoplight and roll down your windows and start just yelling. Boo! Boo! And I'm like, what is going on? I'm looking in all directions. And, I'm not really, and then the, he was like, no, look, look at those assholes. And he points over to a house, Christmas decorated with lights. He's like, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Boo! So that's what we did the whole way. Every house that we saw, we all rolled our windows down and booed. There was some drinking involved, too. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good time. So, uh, Jimmy, you have any news before we get into the interview? I've got nothing. I'm just really excited here. We're recording this on the Monday before Christmas. I want to thank everybody for a wonderful year. We're kind of coming to the end of the year very shortly. And uh, this podcast has just been a blessing to, to us, especially. Uh, we've got several thousand people that listen to us every every week. And this just becomes more popular and more popular. And it's uh, way beyond our dreams. And, and for that, I, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in to listening and stuff. And if you want some, uh, if you want some new stuff to, uh, for us to talk about, go ahead and, and send it to us. And we will see if we can find that particular professional person to answer your questions or else we'll make it up. And if you want to join these uh, sessions live again, we, uh, we record these to uh, produce in the podcast, but we do only have it just available live. There's no post recordings afterwards. You can come join us at aquariumguyspodcast.com. Be part of the studio audience. On the bottom of the site, you'll find Discord, but even that's filling, and you can find us on twitch.tv forward slash Aquarium Guys. Oh, Twitch. Twitch. With a T. Yeah, kind of like what you do after uh, 14 the shots hangover of, kicks in. 14 shots of tequila, yeah. There you go. Well, also, uh, the other news that you, you didn't say, Jimmy. What's that? Uh, we got our pillows in. We did. We got some very nice merch, and we were, even us, we were impressed. And we're not, just because we're selling this stuff, it, uh, we actually ordered some pillows in. Uh, some T-shirts in, and the quality is fantastic. We're so happy with this new this new merchandise. We assume that the pillows were going to be like that T-shirt material where you get that like rubber plasticky crap they print on a shirt and then it cracks off later. No, it's like completely woven into the fabric. It was uh, definitely a pleasant surprise. So now I have pillows. You have pillows. I have pillows. And even Adam's going to be getting pillows when we send his. That's right. Right, Adam? Yes. Pillow time. So what we're saying is go to Aquarium Guys uh, podcast website. We have merch that helps keep the lights on and uh, do a pillow fight for us. Naked. Oh. <laughs> do, a na- do, do a Yeah. Do a pillow fight with us. Get all your girlfriends. And, no, and- no, we're, 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 no, no, we're. No, no, no. Our show is mostly guys, Jim. Uh, no, okay, no more yeg before the podcast. Well, let's skip that part and not do the pillow fight. But um, we actually have a, a, uh, a hoodie here that we needed to sign. Uh, somebody said they want us to sign it. And uh, so it'll be our first hoodie that we've ever signed legally and that we're asked to sign. Yeah, we were asked to sign. We signed a lot of things, but it's more like, yeah. like the, you know, speeding violation when you were in traffic, Jimmy. <laughs> speeding violations, you know, stay away from my house violation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. But anyway. If training you, orders, you don't need to sign. No. no. You don't. You know, but I, I kind of want to be the Sheldon of Big Bang Theory, you know, where we have all these restraining orders from high-end people, you know, like uh, Leonard Nimoy from Spock, or, you know, from Star Trek. And uh, I'm not allowing ones. you to have as much TV time as you've been getting. That's a lot. <laughs> so anyway, if you want something signed, uh, we'd be happy to do that for you at no charge. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to donate a case of beer, I do like beer. Even a 12-pack. I'd go for a six. It is the holiday season. <laughs> I'm seriously cutting off an eggnog. There we go. That's what it is. All right. Eggnog. Let's get on to this. All right. Well, 
Uh, to dive into the interview, we always ask uh, certain introductory questions. But for, first off, right, um, you guys have been very busy, uh, right? You guys have the uh, uh, SeahorseSavvy.com is the uh, listing if you guys want to see this. Um, tell us, uh, number one, uh, a little bit uh, about your, yourselves just as an introductory so uh, we can get to, get to know you both and uh, how long you've been working the business. Well, my name's Alyssa. And I, we just celebrated our sixth year in business. Um, before that, I worked in coral aquaculture and then uh, started Seahorse Savvy while I was still doing cor- coral aquaculture and then branched off from there. And I've been doing it full time for about four years now. And uh, yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, How about you, Kapil? I started in the hobby very young. Um, my, uh, <clears throat> when I was three, my dad joined... Uh, the Southwest Michigan Aquarium Society, and I grew up in there. And um, I, I actually started keeping seahorses long before Alyssa did, but she's much smarter than I am. Yeah. And um, she actually made a business out of it. Mine were just quadorm props. So you're just writing her coattails. Well, hey, pretty much. Um, he likes to remind me he's been doing it longer than me, though. Uh, it's because he's older. Not that A lot older. older. A lot old. What's a lot older? I mean, I think I'm five years younger than she is. Is that true? We don't really know my my birthday, but you know, she claims he celebrates I, his twenty fifth birthday quite a few times. I've done I, it eleven I, times in a row. So. <laughs> I feel like you're getting he's not that old, but he he it gets him going, so we remind him of his age. I feel um, like you're like that yeah. guy who had the birthday on leap year, and it took him to like age sixty before he could actually legally drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a quick, um, I'll tell you a quick story. My mom and dad. Had the same birthday the same year. And uh, I, I lost my mom back in 12, and I lost my dad here in 18. But every time that we had to have the tombstone redone, they, they remember, they you know, they have the start date and the end date, and the start dates for both of them are, are the same day. And I found out from my dad, I was always told that my mom was about 10, 12 hours older than my dad. And on my dad's deathbed, he told me, he said, you know, your mom lied about that. I'm older. Like my six hours <laughs> and Does stuff. That shattered your existence. Yeah, I did. I just my mom lied to me, and I, I can't believe it. it she was also, all ruined. She also told me I was cute, but that was probably the first <laughs> lie. So, I guess the the next question to go with this is how did uh, how do you guys meet and and do business together? Um. Well, I I've kept a lot of different fish. I stopped keeping seahorses for a while, and um. When I was in grad school, I was working at an aquarium shop and uh, somebody brought in a couple of uh, seahorses and um, nobody really bought them. They were wild caught seahorses and I kind of felt like uh, ignited to keep them again. So I got the pair and then I wanted more and I started like looking online and I found Alyssa and we became friends and I got more and more seahorses again. And uh, long story short, she convinced me to move here and help her with the seahorse business. And six years later, now it's all worthwhile, right? Well, uh, I came in about a year and a half ago. So, um, again, I'm riding her coattails. <laughs> so it's, it's, been a, it's been a fun year and a half. You, got, you got there just to, to, to acclimate before COVID. So you got locked in. Yes. 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 What, what did you ask, Jimmy? I asked, so where is where are you guys based out of? Where's your warehouse? Your where are you, are you working out of your basement, back of a car, down by the river? Where are you guys working at? 
Um, we have uh, two hatchery buildings, one food stock, one is for the nursery uh, grow out and the, the stock that's available for sale. The property is located on private land. Uh, it's close by to our house. We're located in the eastern shore of Maryland, so we're near Ocean City, uh, Salisbury, kind of in that region. What was the other question? Your your last four and your social security number. No. Oh. <laughs> Wait, no. There we go. Oh, so honest. We got to edit that out, Scrap. Um, we always ask every person on the podcast, you know, what got you started into this wonderful hobby? My dad kept aquariums. Um, and so when I was born, we had a lot of aquariums. And when we moved to Michigan when I was a kid, we joined an aquarium society and um, I became passionate. And I got my first saltwater aquarium in high school. It wasn't very pretty. <laughs> I've learned a lot since then. Um, and then I went to college at Salisbury University, which is our closest college to here. And I interned at the coral aquaculture facility I ended up working at and got a lot more into it from there. Got my first tank. And, you know, I just kind of, as far as the seahorses, got a pair and it just kind of all went from there. <laughs> what made you want to go into business, Alyssa? I was just interested in raising the seahorses and I tried a batch and was actually pretty successful with my first batch uh, and working at the coral aquaculture facility they offered to resell them and they sold really well and we produced good product and I really enjoy working with them and you know we just kept at it and learned more and worked out the tweaks and it ended up turning into a business I didn't expect it to but it did and I'm happy it did. I have so many questions about uh, the start of the business so when, when you thought, yes, these are selling, uh, what was the first thought that you're going to sell them online? You're going to sell them in person? You're going to sell them at trade shows? How did, how did that first business step work for you? Um, I wanted to sell them online because that's how we were selling at the other coral aquaculture facility. So I was, lear- I was used to that market and, you know, shipping and everything like that. I learned a lot from them and I've always just kind of stuck with that breeding them. It's kind of hard to travel. So we don't go to a lot of trade shows, but we have gone to some. To get more in questions of, uh, of seahorses, um, uh, initially, again, we're talking about shipping. I always think like, you know, fish shipping is one of the most uh, delicate procedures for certain fish that uh, you have to go through different heat packs, all kinds of stuff. But then you have to think about the extra steps. What does it take past a normal fish being shipped to ship a seahorse? I think, number one, they have to hold on to something at least. What does it take? too much different than shipping a lot of other saltwater fish they're in an insulated box with the heat pack of course at this time of year we do just put like an airline tubing in there for them to hold on to they don't always have to hitch but they do enjoy you know hitching to something when they want to rest um but i mean they ship super well and other than that it's not anything super special so what what extremes can you go to when you're shipping? How, I mean, up here in Minnesota right now, today, it's it's 10 degrees above zero. Uh, at what point do you just kind of shut it down where it's just too cold to ship or too hot? If it's the single digits, we'll, we'll ask people if we can ship it as a hold for pickup. That way it doesn't have to go out in the truck. Um, and that helps out a lot. As long as it's above single digits, we'll ship. Um, they're estuary fish, and they're used to a pretty big range of temperatures. So they do handle getting cool pretty easily it's more so in the summertime we don't want them getting too hot but of course we just pack with a ice pack like i said they can handle a pretty wide range of temperature they're not too sensitive with shipping 
So what's your preferred method of, of, of shipping out? Do you like FedEx, uh, UPS, Santa's reindeer? I don't know. What do you use? We primarily use UPS priority overnight. Um, we do have the option where we can ship FedEx, and in some areas, FedEx is better for people and vice versa. Some areas, the UPS is better, so we kind of take a look at that as well. Um, but we primarily do use UPS for shipping priority and- overnight. And that's usually a priority overnight product. What, what's an average box cost for somebody you're shipping across the country to? I know a lot of people are going to be asking that because that's the first question is how much is going to cost me for shipping? This is all we coming just- up due to COVID. We, we had an episode about this talking about different costs and how everything's escalating. So it just at the moment, we have people just trying to get a feel for different markets. And we feel that yours definitely has a, a, a unique taste. So just a little background. Um, so shipping, we charge a flat rate of $40 for shipping, um, unless you're in Hawaii and then you you sort of pay whatever the published rate for Hawaii is, and Hawaii does require a permit. But for the most continental U.S., it's 40 bucks flat rate. See, that's not a bad price at all. How many, how many, um, how big of a box and how many can you ship in a box? That's going to be the next question somebody's going to ask. We can ship a bunch in a box. We have all different box sizes, so it doesn't matter how many they get. As long as it fits in one box, it's the same shipping. Wonderful. Well, now for uh, more uh, more care. So what are the, the, the best parameters that you have l- luck with with seahorses? Again, I uh, coming from the outside, I'm, I'm completely blank canvas on understanding seahorses. Um, so we recommend a minimum of a 30-gallon aquarium. And for any additional pair that you want, we recommend an additional 15 gallons. So if you wanted to keep, you know, four seahorses, two pairs, uh, we would recommend like a 45-gallon aquarium. Now, like with any aquariums, if you want to have a less of a a stocking density, um, you know, that helps a lot with your stability. I think the one thing people don't realize about seahorses um, and if you have a lot of freshwater people in the thing, they're dirtier than goldfish are. You know, part of the tank size also sort of requires on what kind of filtration that you're using. Um, you know, we have some customers that just use hang on the back filters. We have other customers that, you know, have sumps and protein skimmers. So if you're going to have a sump and protein skimmer, um, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to do higher densities. If you're going to just have hang on the back filtration, you know, it might be better to have a little bit lower density. So, you know, you kind of got to play it by ear in that regards. But, you know, generally we recommend, you know, a minimum of 30 gallons and 15 for every additional pair. Um, Temperature-wise, seahorses, even some of the more tropical species sort of shift. uh, They move sort of laterally based on the temperature. So we recommend um, keeping them around like, 72 degrees so, plus or minus it's a little hotter it doesn't doesn't hurt but if you're in a situation where you know your your room that you're keeping the tank in isn't well temperature controlled um you know you may you may need a chiller so you had a question i was gonna say there, you said that there's a plus or minus there how hardy do you think they are because again any fish can withstand gradual change um so it's not shocking that i'm asking about but like, what's like some of the lowest ranges and highest ranges you've seen uh, seahorses be comfortable at? So we primarily produce, and what most of our customers are keeping is Hippocampus erectus. Um, that's a hardy species, and what's commonly available 
in the trade. As far as those, we keep them at about 70 to 74 degrees Fahrenheit. And we really highly recommend keeping them that range. They can get quite a bit cooler. And if they get a little warmer a day here and there, it's usually not a big deal. But you get different bacteria such as Vibrio and things that they can be susceptible to that grow at higher rates at higher temperatures. So keeping it in that lower 70 to 74 degrees range is super important for long-term success and keeping them healthy. Gotcha. So is there any um, particular species that can withstand like, uh, you know, cooler temperatures uh, beyond that, that range? I know we have a lot of uh, cold water marine fans. I know that seahorses are probably outside of the cold water marine environment, but is there like a particular species that can stand a little cooler than most? Pot belly seahorses, um, abdominalis is an Australian native species, and they're huge. They get to be about 12 inches, and those wow. guys are cold water species. Most people are keeping those at 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit, and some even cooler. Um, and that's definitely one you really don't want to keep them above 65 degrees Fahrenheit. So that would be perfect for them. They're awesome. It's not a species we work with, but one I would like to. That that's a that's a huge creature for sure. I did not <laughs> expect huge. to see that's a horse being that big. Now I want to go back real back. Uh, earlier, Kapil said that they produce a lot of waste, and that surprised me actually. Me too. I figured they'd be more delicate, and they wouldn't uh, necessarily create a lot. But it, is it waste why they're dirty, or is it behavior? Uh, it's mostly I think the waste is why they're kind of like dirty. Is that they do they do poop a lot, and they produce pretty big turds you know a lot of our seahorses in the farm or all the seahorses in the farm are kept bare bottom so um and we do have them a little bit dense so we we it's easier for us to sort of see the poop and um i've worked with a lot of different fish and i would have to say they are probably one of the poopiest fish i've ever worked with that's incredible <laughs> what so what kind of a diet do you have these fish are these seahorses on that they they are pooping like they love make ribs no <laughs> I will take Nick a dozen seahorses right now. <laughs> McRibs are wonderful. No, but uh, honestly, what uh, what do they feed on and um, how often do you feed them? So for all of our larger species, we do work with dwarf seahorses, and those are kind of a whole different creature in and of themselves. Um, but for all the larger species of seahorses we work with, they're eating frozen mysa shrimp, um, and we're feeding them a, at least twice a day. At the farm, we're feeding them about four times a day. But what we recommend to other keepers is about twice a day um, once they're ready to ship out from here. I heard that uh, there, maybe this is species specific. I heard that a lot of seahorses require live food only. Uh, just hearing that you're doing frozen makes it so much more attainable in my mind than like hatching brine shrimp or something else. Yep, that's something we commonly hear. Um, being captive bred, we get them on a frozen mysis shrimp here from a really young age. A lot of that comes from what used to be available in the trade, which is primarily wild-caught seahorses. Um, and in general, they're more picky with eating, a little more stressed to being brought into captivity, and um, they're not going to take to prepared food as quickly as our captive bred seahorses are. Once they're ready to ship out from here, they've been on frozen mysis shrimp for at least three months. So they're used to it, and that's all they're getting here, and they do very well on that. It's also super nutritious. And it's very high in protein, isn't it? It is. It's all protein. So they make the McRib out of. What you got, Adam? <laughs> McMysis. Is there a specific brand of mysis shrimp? Because I know different brands of frozen food 
have different like grades of mysis, like sizes and everything? Is there a specific brand that you guys feed yours? We primarily feed two brands. We feed Piscine Energetics, a Canadian mysis. Um, and we also feed Hikari's, I think it's what their regular mysis shrimp. It is a little bit smaller. Okay. Um, a lot of our brood stock gets the Piscine Energetics. It is fattier. Um, it is bigger. So for, for those individuals that are, are producing a lot of um, eggs and babies, it's it's a good food for them. But all the young are pretty much raised on the Hikari foods. Those are the two brands we recommend impartially. Um, and there's probably other really good brands out there. But for us, they tend to be the cleanest and uh, arrive the freshest out of most of the, the mices that we sort of see. Um, we do prefer buying them in flat packs versus cubes. Uh, the cubes tend to be kind of like cut up in pieces and a lot of little pieces. So if you're kind of feeding cubes in like a more community tank, um, there's a lot of things in there that will eat the smaller pieces. But generally, those are the two brands that we feed. I know Hikari does have other types of mysis in there, they have, um, and we we don't feed those other types. We just feed the, the small, regular type. Okay, you don't feed like the the spirulina or anything like that. Um, if you want to like add like we once they get on mysis shrimp, they're exclusively on mysis shrimp. Um, we uh, if you do want to give a little bit of just diversity, you could you could give them some barring chip that's enriched with spirulina or Pacific plankton, but generally mysis has all the nutrition that they need. Um. Sometimes with our breeders, uh, we do take live brine shrimp and we do sell an enrichment, a food enrichment um, on our website. And so we'll enrich them for about 24 hours or so. Um, and sometimes we'll give our, our breeders um, breeders some of that. But we're, we're basically taking like what reptile people do with crickets and kind of gut loading them and yep. giving it just, just brine shrimp by itself isn't a very nutritious food so there's no uh there's no people trying to do like a micro pellet or something that's intended for uh for seahorses um i'm assuming that again like you said mice shrimp have their full balance so using anything else would be risky it sounds like i i the the issue with having sort of like a pellet or a flake uh, at least with the pellet is they have a very specialized sort of jaw and I think it would be very difficult for them to go after that. I, I have had tanks uh, in the past where I did have other fish in there, and I'd put some high-quality marine flakes in there um, that were a mysis-based flake, and the seahorses looked interested, but they they just ignored it. You know, they would um, they would look at it, and then they would kind of get close to it, and then they would just like swim away like this. This is a McRib sandwich knockoff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing better than the original. So my introduction to seahorses many, many years ago, uh, there used to be an ad like in the back of outdoor magazine stuff, and they would sell dwarf seahorses from Coral Gables, Florida. And I don't know if that place is still open or not, but they would ship it through you to you through the mail. And my mom actually bought them for me. And I had very good luck. I kept them for a long time in a goddamn bowl. I mean, I didn't even have an what? aquarium. Yeah, you 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 order the seahorses, 
it came with a plastic bowl and you would take a, a little tiny cup and you would drop the water in just to kind of oxygenate the water. And I had very success. I kept them for a good long time. You're kidding. How big was this bowl? <laughs> I, I would say it's probably half gallon tops. And, and I'm assuming there's no heat on that. No, it's set on the counter just like a fish bowl would. And that's that was their, that's how they sold them back then. It's it, just fish, fish bowl seahorses. Right. And they always, the big thing was, I think it was like seven ninety five, and they would send you a pregnant uh, father seahorse and a, a female. I think you got a pair for seven ninety five like that. And I actually did have little babies. And then, and then you would just take and put the brine shrimp uh, eggs on top of the water and then they would hatch. And that's how, <laughs> that's how I found them. That's how basic bare bones it was back in the day. So I'm assuming you did water changes continually. You know, it's salt water, so no, you didn't do a whole lot because you had no salt water. They didn't send you, like, extra salt packets at that time. How in the world did this work? It did. They're dwarf seahorses, yeah. and they're very—they're hardier-ish. They were apparently some super dwarf seahorses yeah. from another planet. I mean, if you go online right now, you, <laughs> you can type in Dwarf Seahorses Coral Gables, Florida, and you'll see that ad. You know, you can go in the back of your Outdoor Life magazine, back of your Ranger Rick magazine— Ranger Rick. Ranger Rick was this like... This is like some 1950s shit right now that you're talking about. Dude, I, I was still have Ranger I, I'm Rick. Gonna, My kids I'm going to just that. interject here that... Um, and Alyssa's going to make fun of me for this. My first dwarf seahorses did come from Coral Gables. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it was a while ago, but... Um, no comment other than that. Yeah, suck it, Robs. It was a hot minute. No, I mean... So this those was, are listening. Do not was, put your seahorses in a jar, bowl, or any other thing. It rocked. <laughs> you know, but back in the day, I mean, that was your freaking entertainment because we didn't have Nintendos. All we had was payphone booths to play in and stuff like that. <laughs> and they, they wonder you why... young whippersnappers. But they, yeah. They wonder why you uh, set the, uh, you know, cornfield on fire. You know, you do what you do to have fun. I grew up in rural North Dakota, and there wasn't a pet store within 100 miles of us at the time. So you kept dwarf seahorses in a jar. I also, <laughs> I also very successfully, very successfully had sea monkeys also. Oh, did you? <laughs> I had sea monkeys, I had dwarf seahorses, and I did order those quail eggs that came with a little incubator and I hatched quail eggs. I really needed to hear more about your childhood. Yeah, I grew up in North Dakota. <laughs> I, I want to know where the uh, magnifying glass and the ants started coming in. To play? No, that's that's not me. That's not you. No, sounds like Rob's. Okay, yeah. okay. Let's let's talk a minute about the differences between a normal seahorse and a dwarf seahorse. Please explain that to me. So the erectus seahorses are a larger species, but they're also native to Florida. They all come all the way up the coast, actually. Hippocampus zostre is the dwarf seahorses, which is what he kept in his bowl. Um, we do work with those guys, too. They're smaller. We don't get them on any frozen food because they do kind of have a quick metabolism and they need to continuously eat. And you can't just leave frozen food in an aquarium all day. Um, just like seafood that you and I eat, it's going to spoil pretty quickly and foul up the water and uh, possibly get them sick, too. So we just feed them live enriched Artemia nopuli, the baby, baby brine shrimp sea monkeys, like he was saying. But yeah, they're just a smaller species. They only reach about an inch, inch and a half in size. They're super Oh, that cute. is tiny. They're tiny. <laughs> oh. Being so small, it's not a high bio load. And with the live food in there, it's not going to foul up the water too quickly or anything. So in low density, they can be fairly easy to keep. It's just the live food you have to hatch out. And that can be a little bit of work for some people. I just want to put out there that we need to have a t-shirt uh, made uh, for the next round. That bull shaming is okay. Bull shaming is okay. Yes, that's what we need. 
I think we should get a, a, a T-shirt. I mean, we do recommend putting a, a filtration in your dwarf seahorse. See, egg. Jimmy, it will make the experience a lot better. Oh, this is um, before electricity. Our, okay. A lot of our customers like to use like small uh, all-in-one aquariums. They may put a little screen on the intake or outtakes, um, but that that's generally how people are keeping them now. Sure. So and it just allows the live food to recirculate so they can eat all day long. An- another question that I have, since we're on the uh, idea of filtration, is, is flow. I've always been told that seahorses have a particular uh, need of slow flow. And if you have too much, it's going to kill them. If you don't have enough, they're not going to like it. Uh, is this at all true? If so, what, what what's the correct amount of flow? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to quickly start this with a little bit of a story. Uh, when I got back into seahorses, I sent a picture or video of my tank to Alyssa. Um, and she told me I needed to increase my flow. And I go, seahorses don't require flow. And then she sends me a video with water blasting and a, bunch, a, a 200-gallon aquarium full of uh, these hippocampus erectus seahorses. So um, seahorses are found in areas that do have high flow. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, in the past through the supply chain, um, they are kept in low flow. Um, and some aquaculture facilities overseas do, do keep them in low flow. So you don't want to just blast your seahorses with a wave maker. Um, but, you know, it, it does help to slowly increase the speed of your wave maker and get the get the flow in there. Um, with any aquarium, you know, the flow sort of helps move waste and poop out of um, sort of dead zones or potential dead zones and um, get some get some more processed. So what if you had the ability, right, if you're going to do this in a perfect environment to control the flow on a schedule, for instance, nighttime, they have a little slower flow in the daytime. It's a damn hurricane and they're holding on for dear life. Is that what if kind you of have, like, if you have a power head on there, you just want to keep it covered so that they don't grab onto it and get hurt. But they are smart animals, so you know you want to have direct flow so they learn where the higher flow area is, and they they'll get caught off guard by it a couple times, then they won't do that again. Um, but you do want to keep it consistent throughout the day, just so that they know where that high flow area is and they're not getting caught off guard. But they'll learn and they'll kind of. You just want to make sure you have areas that they can rest to. That so, are not as fast moving. So having like flow schedules doesn't help. You just want to keep it consistent. Make sure that you're hitting the dead spots and then giving some slower flow areas so they can rest. That's what we recommend. I mean, if you're doing a big cleaning and you want to ramp up the flow and you're keeping an eye on them, that doesn't hurt just to make sure things aren't settling in the aquarium. But in general, you want to keep it consistent. Do you need to keep decor or uh, certain uh, live things in the tank so they can grasp onto? Like what what type of uh, scenery are you looking at in a tank for a seahorse? Because I'm assuming, again, they have the the wonderful monkey-like tail. Uh, Do you keep certain decorations especially farming them you're not doing it to look good you're doing them for raising and brooding seahorses what do you recommend in a tank um there's a lot of different options they are sit and wait predators so you're right they use their tail and they hold on and they need to rest and have plenty of things to hold on to and what we call it is hitch a lot of our customers have you know soft corals in the aquarium such as gorgonians wait, wait, leather wait. corals did you uh, even some people use macroalgae 
Did you just say hitch? Natural hitching posts that you can keep them with. Other people just keep it simple and just use (laughs) artificial corals. There's a lot that actually look pretty realistic these days that are nice. Um, If you can get brighter colors, if they're artificial, which will promote better coloration with your seahorses since they can change color, which isn't something we've talked about yet, but uh, having nice bright colors in there will help color them up for everybody. I just love that to death. You actually said hitch up. This is the best thing. So do you ever like dress (laughs) up in a cowboy uniform for PR campaigns? I've tried to get Alyssa to do that, but she she refuses. Hey, you could be the Marlboro man. Put some chaps on. I'm just saying, this is this goes both ways. Uh, you know, I'll just say uh, I'm gonna just say Alyssa's the better looking of us two, so I might scare customers away. Way to be a, ta- a team player. <laughs> well, don't wear the assless chaps. That's all I can say. <laughs> you, you know, from Coral Gables, Florida, you could pay an extra dollar and they'd send you a free hitching post. <laughs> No. They charged a dollar. It, no. it, it, it would say something like, you know, free kitchen post, a uh, dollar extra, something like that. But <laughs> it, it was a little tiny. It looks like, uh, remember the Westerns when you'd come up and you'd tie your horse to that little that little thing? It, in all the Westerns, they'd have like a, a railing. Oh, yeah. I, I, and they'd, they'd yeah. wrap the reins around it and stuff. And they had kind of a little thing like that uh, made out of plastic <laughs> that was probably about an inch and a half wide. And they would just kind of wrap their tail around the fence. Wow. But it was an extra dollar. Wow. But uh, one thing too with some of the artificial decor is you want to be careful like like I wouldn't use like a fake kabamba plant. It tends to trap detritus and and food and just become sort of like a a cesspool of stuff in a seahorse tank. You know, things that are sort of smooth surfaces. Another thing that people will use is uh yellow plastic chain link. That's pretty much what we use here. It's just plastic yellow chain that's from Lowe's or Home Depot and we just anchor it down with coral frag plugs or some of our customers will just kind of like tuck it under the live rock or weigh it down with PVC but that works out well too and it's cheap and that floats naturally doesn't it it does yep you said live rock um when I was keeping seahorses they advised no live rock so well, that was when we also got live rock that had actual live critters in it that was really cool. But. Well, that also because there's octopus and babbit yeah. bobbit worms and bobbit worms. Yeah. Remember, remember, so, remember Lorena bobbit worm? Uh, no. We, okay, we'll talk about I, that. I Googled it after you told me about that, by the way. Yeah. And uh, go fluke yourself. Yeah, it's a terrible <laughs> so, thing. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. Uh, cringe does not explain yeah. that meme. Um I, I just want to say that when I was down in, in Tampa, Florida, about 10 years ago, uh, oh, no. my salesperson, Julie, uh, took us to a area and we went snorkeling where there is live dwarf seahorses, you know, amongst the uh, I, plants, I guess. And they were in a lot of current, actually. Uh, it was right by the mouth of a river, so it was almost brackish. And they were in there and... Um, by the hundreds and it was very very fascinating and i actually wasn't paying attention i was looking at all these different seahorses and i actually kind of got pushed out away from where we were at by about 30 40 feet and all of a sudden i'm like holy crap where did everybody go but it was a lot (laughs) there was a whole lot of uh a whole lot of current going through there and that was just uh by the south by the gibsonton tampa area and it's very cool if you can find them out in the wild natural habitat so two notes right one Uh, I'm just imagining you sitting there like, man, I wish I had a jar right now. And uh, two, <laughs> who, who uh, says I didn't have a after jar? After you paddled back in, 
Uh, when was the coronary? Um, no, did you feel like you had you ate four McRibs after that paddle. No, there was no coronary. <laughs> there's no current coronary, but there's a little kid on on the side of the beach going, "Look, manatees, manatees." <laughs> Nah, you don't eat lettuce. <laughs> that is correct. I do not eat lettuce. So I crawled out of the water and I punched him. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Throw a punch? Yeah. I mean, he was seven years old. He had to come in. Is there anything else? <laughs> All right. As far as seahorses delicacy, like, what do you have to worry about as far as, like, uh, things in the tank? Like, for instance, with loaches in freshwater environment, we can't use copper. We can't treat uh, for things like ick. With traditional means, we have to use stuff, stuff like UV filters. Is there any... Um, abnormal susceptibility to certain seahorses. They're not too Other sensitive to like specific medications. Um, in most aquariums that people are keeping them in, though, if you did need to use a medication, we would recommend moving them to a hospital tank and using that there rather than the display tank. The biggest thing is you just want to avoid stinging corals, such as like Euphelia or Galaxia, ones that have a very strong sting or very big LPS that could possibly eat them. They are slow moving and uh, they, they can get stung on like other fish uh, as well as just being careful with what other tank mates you keep them with. Do you just want to keep them with small peaceful fish such as gobies? You don't want to keep them with, you know, big yellow tangs or angelfish or things that could outcompete them for food or stress them or possibly pick at them because they are slow moving and you want to make sure they're getting plenty to eat and not competing with the other tank mates. You really want to make sure that, the aquarium is a seahorse aquarium and the inhabitants in there are safe to keep with them and peaceful. So you wouldn't want to put them in a mixed reef tank. But nothing that they're like, oh, you can't use this because they'll turn purple and die. Um, <laughs> Other than pennies. Other than pennies. One of the, one of the, one of the medications that we, we do like to use at the farm is um, formalin. Um, and that seems to be something that Treats a lot of uh, of the common issues that seahorses tend to get. Um, so that's what we do. We don't really use copper on seahorses. I've used it in the past a couple of times, um, and one time I did lose a seahorse. So, but formalin is usually uh, something that sort of treats some of the same stuff copper will, but it's a lot um, lot friendlier for the seahorses. So they're not like a lot of other marine fish either, where you see a lot of like you know. Ick. They don't really, it's not that they can't get ick, but it's not common with them. Uh, so it's not really something you see pop up with them too gotcha. much. We don't prefer to use antibiotics with seahorses. Um, I've seen it done successfully, but in a lot of the cases that we've had in the past, um, it, it seems to be better to just remove the seahorse out of the environment and put it in a hospital tank. And that seems to, seems to be a really big uh, help for it. Also, water quality is probably the most important preventative thing. Um, if you can keep good water quality, weekly water changes, um, that will prevent a lot of bacterial and even protozoan things from affecting your seahorses. Keeping that water clean is probably the one of the biggest things I can really recommend anybody keeping seahorses. Sure. So we actually have a segue here. One of our uh, listeners that's listening live in the podcast right now uh, messaged, how do you get rid of bacterial infection in seahorses? Also, greetings from Cold Water Fish Group on Facebook. So any other if, specific recommendations yeah. for bacterial? 
I mean, most seahorses, if they're healthy, I wouldn't recommend just treating them. If you think that they have a bacterial infection, most of the time, furon 2, which is nitrofurazone, is what will most commonly help with most related bacterial infections with seahorses. But of course, we would recommend doing that in a hospital tank. Uh, we just simply follow the manufacturer's instructions as far as dosage. And it usually takes up to 10 days, but you want to keep complete the 10 days as well as keep them in the antibiotics for at least 14 days if you're still seeing an issue. If it's still not cleared up after then, you'd probably want to switch to a different antibiotic. Now, this may sound really strange. So your, your antibiotic doesn't go well and your seahorse passes away. You can take the, the, the dead seahorse and, and lay it out flat on a piece of paper and dry it out. No, Jimmy. no listen to me. I was down, no, in, it, I was down in Florida and I went to a, a place that sold seashells and they had some very big, large, beautiful seahorses. And I went, that's really cool. She goes, yeah, that's natural. They just, they dry out like that. They put some sort of like, uh, like a fingernail polish type material on top of them stuff. And they become somebody's wall hanging. Have you ever heard of this? Okay, Jimmy, you, you, you talk with them. I'm going to grab you something. I'll be right back. All right. You continue the podcast. (laughs) I will do that. But have you guys heard of that? Uh, He just abandoned ship. Oh, he's he's going to go find a. We've seen it around, um, um, you know, I mean, you can like a lot of your, even your freshwater fish and marine fish, you can always, you know, you can always dry them up if you're in a, uh, ventilated or, uh, and hot environment. Some uh, of our customers will do that after they pass just to keep them rather than burying them or. I mean, we, we usually, um, do not do that here. So. Yeah, but it, it just thoroughly amazed me that people are actually hanging dead seahorses on their wall as decoration and don't even realize when they're buying them that they're actually dead seahorses. So, Jimmy, just yes. just to let you know, you explain the situation, right? Yeah. Uh, I cleaned up one of my aquariums and sold it, right? That was leaking. They're going to reseal it, the whole thing. And in the back, I saw... Dead guppy? No. Uh, this is my free willy Playco that I have right here. He, uh, he's oh. dried up like a chip. Oh, my God. And he looks like one of those uh, dead seahorses. He does. I didn't even know where he went. I just lost him. It was, uh, it was an albino bristlenose Playco. And let me tell you, it is a perfectly maintained skeleton like the seahorse. Yes. So I now, as you're telling me, need to hang this on my wall with, <laughs> uh, in honor of what they do with seahorses. So... Uh, we're going to name it uh, Clarence, and it's going to be on the podcast table now, staring at you for that horrible instruction to our listeners. I think we should sell these, and you just <laughs> add water, and then they, like, instant oh, sea, and then sea monkeys. Make, sea monkeys. A, just a, make a moldy Petri dish, yeah. sadist. This is, this is wonderful. I hope everybody is watching how Rob has killed his Pleco. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was very interesting that uh, p- people had done that. It, uh, it jumped out. What can you, what yeah. can you do? Free Willy. Uh, also, cool thing is, uh, bristlenose placos have that, uh, it's almost like a mace on the side of their, their, their gills, right? Uh, you don't really notice it until they dry up. <laughs> you can just see just the incredible spike work on the sides of their cheeks. You wait till I die and you'll see how great my hair is actually. How it's it's, <laughs> it's going to be a skeleton with just your hair. You know, just prop me up in the corner when I'm dead and it would make a great conversation piece. I'll curl up your tail. We'll put you on a wall. There you go. I might get a big nail though. I'm pretty fat. This is horrible. Um, oh boy. Where do we go from here? So, Let's get away from dead seahorses. Let's talk about breeding seahorses. Yes, let's. This is. Let's go to something fun. 
So breeding seahorses by far, if you've never done seahorses, has to be the most confusing thing, right? Uh, we've seen that a lot of in the fish kingdom, the males take care of the babies, but uh, please explain to us how you go through the process and how it's like one of the funnest things that the aquarium uh, community has to offer is breeding seahorses. Seahorses, um, you know, with a breeding tank, um, I've seen them breed in about anything and even tanks smaller than we sort of recommend. Um, they are seasonal breeders. They seem to um, breed around the spring and summer a little bit more, usually spring, but they will breed throughout the year. They, they, uh, one common misconception is that they mate for life. I will say that is not true at all. Definitely not in captivity. <laughs> I don't believe I don't it. think it probably is for their natural environment either, but that's one thing that everybody always thinks that they're, they mate for life and they definitely don't hear. And I think that it's probably unlikely that they do in their natural environment as well. Get it where you can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, but you, you will, you know, we, we do keep our sea, breeding seahorses in groups here. Um, they are a social creature. I think, like, you know, keeping cichlids, they're really fun to watch in groups. The males do show off to each other and show off to the females. Usually the, they do this little dance, and they go up and down. And oh, my. Uh, Hold on. We need to, we need to warn our uh, our listeners. Make a little love uh, and get down tonight. Viewer discretion advised. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the male will transfer the eggs, or sorry, the female will transfer the eggs into the male's pouch. Um, and that's how you sex them. There's a noticeable pouch, kind of like a kangaroo on a, on a, a male seahorse. And the female transfer the eggs into that pouch. The male will fertilize them when they're in the pouch. And the eggs eventually actually implant in the male's pouch and develop. The true and- male pregnancy. That's why they're the best animals in the world. Clearly. Bite me. I, I think they signed the deal with the devil and got screwed on. <laughs> I agree with um, appeal. <laughs> they, uh, depending on the species, but on average, I would say it's around um, 18 days. They erect us. Most of the time they carry the fry for about 17 to 21 days. It's a little bit temperature dependent as well as individually dependent. Well, like we all fish. A, a subpopulation of erectus that's from the more northern regions. And those seem to um, have less time before the pregnancy, but 18 to about 21 days. They, they should uh, see a doctor. If you're erectus for 18 days, people see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's four hours is the limit. Oh, four hours. Yeah, definitely. If it's 18 days, you want to get that fixed. No comment. There we go. <laughs> Come on, Kapil. I was on, I was on team Kapil for a while, but now I'm off. <laughs> We so, only have functional erectus in, in this farm. Wonderful. <laughs> so how many do you get out of a batch? Okay, so so take it that the, the whole dance goes goes wait, well. Wait. Sometimes wait. tea time. Sometimes the, the female will trans sorry. I, I gotta know what this dance, right? I've I picked on I picked on uh, Adam for this. We've seen this on TikTok, right? He calls it the happy dance, and I'm feeling like there's not an actual name for this. Is it just like some ritual, or are we literally like? Is it common to call it the happy dance? I've never referred to it as the happy dance, but uh, usually in scientific literature, it's called courting behavior <laughs> or mating behavior. 
I had to use small words for Rob. Thank you. Adam knows a lot about mating behavior, don't you there, father of four? Anyways, let's continue. How many do you get in a batch? It all depends. Um, You can get anywhere from like 10 babies to... I think what was a thousand was your your highest batch? I think we've had some pretty big Holy batches. Crap. Our largest batch is close to two thousand. For real, that is freaking phenomenal. That's a lot of mouths to feed. How was how was the uh, yes, mortality rate? Did most of them live? It depends. I mean, every batch is a little different. We definitely try to shoot for over ninety percent survival rates. I would over. say most of the time we're pretty close to that. So the particular you know, some batches are weaker than others, and you, know, you don't always have that high success rates. But if the broodstock's well conditioned, we can have pretty high success rates with them. Say particular this particular pair that that laid a, a a thousand babies. Do they breed more than once a year? Oh yes, they can. They breed every the day they give birth. They usually breed again within a day. Now um, you know why they have that, multiple you know, buildings. Some of them will breed all year long and produce one batch some will produce three or four batches and then take a break it varies we even have some that just don't produce in our freeloaders yeah we have quite a few of those (laughs) have you um so when you said you keep them in groups and then they pick the groups they don't mate for life in the in captivity like this have you tried mixing them around like parrots i know with um parrot breeding you have to put multiple males and multiple females and they pick their own mate have you tried that with the seahorses to see if you could get the freeloaders to pick a new mate and see if they want to hook up with somebody else? Um, or is this when you put them in a group in a tank, you just literally keep them in that group in that tank? There's no transfer. It depends. I mean, we we try and keep the group together just mostly for biosecurity reasons. Um, you know, but if we do have some that are being a little picky we will move them we also just move them to a different tank pretty much quarterly that way we can bleach out the system that they're in and put them in a fresh new system just to keep biofilms and that kind of stuff out of our plumbing and whatnot so usually once we move them it does kind of like we'll get some pairs to change it up and maybe some pairs that weren't breeding before it might get them going they're one of those things that's just sometimes like we'll try and figure everything out and they can be a little bit unpredictable with their behavior. And I think that's just probably true for a lot of different fish, but especially the seahorses. <laughs> I mean, sometimes um, we'll have, uh, we'll add a, a, a couple males to the group and that gets the old fart males, you know? Yeah, that usually scared. gets them feisty. <laughs> and there's some action that goes on after that. So you bring in some competition and they have a dance off. Pretty oh, much. This is just like footloose, man. I feel like there needs to be a Kevin Bacon version of a seahorse. There should be. I mean, that would fly off the shelves, clearly. Exactly. Also, we have a we have a question, and I don't want this answered because I giggled in the middle uh, from one of the listeners. They asked, where can I find an erectus in the southern regions? So uh, we're not answering that. <laughs> we're going to move on. That was, that was from, my, from a listener? Uh, yes, Florida. Was. Florida. Okay, there you go. <laughs> They do have the best strip clubs. Perfect. <laughs> okay. And um, one other question about this. Have you tried taking water from a really good breeding tank and dumping it into the other one? Or that's biosecurity reasons for that, too. It that's works a good for question. It, we have had some of our erectus seahorses 
when they give birth and it kind of tends to make everybody else in the same system go a little crazy with courting and everything. So there's definitely something to that. I have tried that where, you know, two systems that I'm comfortable with mixing the water with and it, it does kind of get them courting more and showing more behavior and everything. I wouldn't say it's like a hundred percent, but I do think there is something to that. Do, do you feel like they, uh, they release hormones and that gets everybody else excited? I think so. I do. I, I know the that's... female while the male's pregnant is working on ripening the next clutch of eggs. And pretty much as soon as he gives birth, that clutch of eggs is ready. So I don't know if there's something where he's letting her know cue wise that they're, he's ready and whatnot. So I think that's they do probably put something off when they give birth. But I don't know that that's studied and I'm not sure what it would be. Yeah, It, it is with, with angelfish. Um, I used to read a lot of angelfish and... That definitely is true. You you get one pair going, and it gets everybody excited because of the hormones in the water and whatnot. What, definitely. What is the gestation period? Uh, how long do they carry the the eggs? About eighteen to twenty one days. Oh, it is okay. I just thought I heard it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it varies for species too, but as far as the erectus seahorses that we work with, primarily it's about eighteen to twenty one days. So one thing I'd like to bring up, and it's probably the biggest misconception of seahorses, um, and if Alyssa ever goes bald, it might be because of this this misconception, <laughs> is seahorses, seahorse color is not fixed. Similar to chameleons, they can change colors. Um, and they can change colors also when they're unhappy, but usually um, basically towards their backgrounds. I've had some seahorses you know, a different color all the time. And I have some seahorses that seem to like certain colors. Colors like red and orange are not really that common and particularly are not that common in captive bred seahorses. Um, and I think it might be something with some of the diet that they have in the wild. But I have, I mean, it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. We usually when people order seahorses for us from us, you know, they, they they'll they'll ask, can you get me the yellow ones? Um, all the seahorses can turn yellow. We can send you a yellow seahorse and it can arrive yellow to you. Sometimes we can send you a yellow seahorse and it can arrive black, you know, or gray or variety of different sort of colors and patterns. A lot of the erectus seahorses that we work with, and as well as many species, have these stripes along their back that are usually white. And the the sort of the layman's term for those stripes are called saddles. And so the saddling is fixed. That doesn't change. Um, some seahorses have, you know, crazy saddling patterns. Another thing that happens uh, with seahorses, they'll get these surrey, which are these like sort of seaweed-like appendages. Um, and that's not even a fix. Like we'll have them show up in some of our tanks and, you know, you, you can, you can actually request ones with Siri on, uh, on your order, but I can't guarantee that those appendages are going to stay. Like you will see seahorses develop them later on or, or lose them. So that, that's a really interesting uh, thing all, with the seahorses. And even like chameleons, they can kind of rotate their eyes and kind of look around, you know. They're uh, sea chameleons. That's, they, that's what, that's what I described. They have a tail, you know. They're pretty much like <laughs> a chameleon of the sea. I, I see on here uh, a, a lot of different uh, color patterns and uh, varieties. Some of them almost look like they have almost like, a, how do you put that, like um, crust on them? Or is that just coloration? Or is that like uh, some part of like uh, the growth on older seahorses? 
that's the saddling markings that you're seeing. And it, it does develop more as they age usually for most individuals. Some have a lot of it, some don't have very much of it at all, but it's just a natural marking on them. And how long can you expect your, your seahorse to, to live? What's the average lifespan? With proper care, most of the larger species will live about four to seven years. We've had some hobbyists report them living over 12 years, so they can live quite a while. That's incredible. So what are, what are some of the prices to get in this uh, this hobby? What's your, your average price? Because, again, you, you sell seahorses on uh, seahorsesavvy.com. So what does your price ranges go for seahorses? I think sort of single seahorses start around like $99. And if you buy a pair, the price goes down. Um, you buy four, the price goes down even more. So the seahorses that we tend to have in stock are Hippocampus erectus. They, they are probably the most productive seahorses in captivity, and they are very hardy, and they, they seem to do really well. I mean, a lot of other countries, they're not as av- available um, as they are in the U.S., and we work with two different subpopulations. We ha- work with sort of what we call the saddle directus, which is the, the sort of the southern subpopulation that occurs in the Florida um, Keys and the Gulf of Mexico. Um, they tend to, they have the ability to get larger. They are a little bit slower growing. Um, and then the, the northern subpopulation, which we call the northern erectus, they tend to be a little bit smaller. They, they, their morphology is a little bit more stout. They are probably the most active seahorses. Um, in our personal um, seahorse reef, that's what we have displayed. Um, we, we really just like that species. They are also a lot easier to breed than the Southerns are, even though the Southerns are pretty easy to breed. They will go through all the different sort of color patterns, as you'll see the, the Southerns go with. But they're, they're just a cool seahorse. They're just, they're just always very active. They're always moving. They're always flirting with each other, showing off. Um, and that's probably becoming probably our most popular seahorse that we're selling. Uh, we do sometimes sell uh, hippocampus combs, or what they call the tiger tail seahorse, which is a species that's native to Vietnam, the Philippines, and that, that sort of area of the Indo-Pacific. They are a lower growing of a species. They do have some really wild color changes. But they, they, they're not, uh, in terms of production, we don't get huge, huge numbers of those. So we don't always have those available. And I don't think we currently have them available. Um, and then the other seahorse uh, that we do sell are Hippocampus red eye. Um, and we, se- we sell the Brazilian subpopulation of those. And that's probably one of the more sought after seahorses. That's what everybody wants right now. Nobody has them available. <laughs> yeah, and they, they are a little bit colorful, but they are really weird about breeding. They'll either just start breeding and then they'll just stop. Um, so we don't always have those available, and that's probably the, the probably the more expensive seahorse that we sell. We also do sell hybrids between the Erectus and the Redeye. I did not know you could do that. Flowerhorn seahorses, <laughs> but they, they, the one interesting thing about hybrids um, – there was a study done in Florida where they did look at the erectus population and the redeye population. So they do overlap in populations. And they did notice that in in some parts of their range, there was some level of hybridization going on and that um, 
the erectus naturally were uh, ha- had some uh, reed eye genes in them. One thing about the hybrid seahorse, if you breed two hybrids together, we don't know of anybody that has produced any viable offspring with those. But if you take a hybrid and you breed it to the parent species, uh, we've heard of people having success with uh, getting viable offspring from. So that that's another sort of cool cool species. Um, and then we are trying to work with Hippocampus cuda, but um, we haven't been uh, – we're still growing those guys out. So that's hopefully another species that used to be a lot more common in the market that we would like to, to sort of bring back. And then we do work with the dwarf seahorses, which are the Hippocampus ostrae. Um, and those are the ones that, you know, keep in your Pico or Nano tanks. Now, how often do you guys bring in new stock to, um, do you do it a couple times a year or do you do it continuously as you find it available? Because I know some of the stuff is very hard to find. The Erectus, we pretty much bring in a new group of those every year, which is kind of what's worked out well for us and our pattern of rotating and everything like that. Um, as far as other species, it's kind of just what's available. Being that they're CITES Appendix 2, there's just not a whole lot of imports, especially this year. Um, so it's just pretty much what's available. If we see something unique that we think would be a good fit to our breeding program and they're a different species other than Erectus, we'll usually you know, grab it when they're available because you don't see them available too often. And but the- we're pretty careful with what we're bringing in and where we're bringing it in from. Do you have like a quarantine area for these? When you we do. It? We definitely, they're in quarantine for at least six months before they enter our breeding program. They're oh. dewormed and um, we use the formalin on them, which takes care of a lot of possible external parasites and whatnot. And even if they're not having an issue, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. I don't use antibiotics on them unless there's a bacterial problem, but usually if we need to use antibiotics on something, they're probably not going to end up being breeding stock for us. So uh, another question would be, if I'm trying to get set up seahorses for the first time, is it best to keep just a pair together? Or you said they're very social. Can I just have one um, and have a happy seahorse? Is it like some uh, like Garami species seem to be okay with even just one on a tank? We usually recommend that you have at least two individuals because they do kind of feed off of each other as far as confidence and everything. And they can be a little lonely if you just have one and shy usually if you have two they'll kind of you know feed off of each other's behavior and become more active and confident more bold in the aquarium um and like we said they are very social so we recommend having a buddy for them do you ever have any that are are aggressive to the point where they hurt other seahorses that's a good question some of the males can kind of chase each other around when they're feeling frisky and then displaying and everything especially around a full moon we'll see them get quite feisty around i can always tell it's a full moon just by seeing that behavior with them where they're actually snicking at each other and chasing each other around um but i mean they're they're peaceful fish they're not aggressive or anything they're not going to hurt each other it can be kind of alarming when you see that behavior but We've never had them hurt each other or anything like that. It's not something we worry about. Now, another question or earlier, you talked about tank mates. And I, I know I've heard of people like uh, keep pipefish as a tank mate. What, what do you suggest you know, to keep in your seahorse tank? You can keep pipefish with them. They are a good tank mate for them. You do want to be careful with what pipefish 
you keep with them because they're so closely related to seahorses. And a lot of those are going to be wild imports that could possibly carry things that the seahorses could be more susceptible to being so closely related. Um, we do have captive bred pipefish, and then we also bring in some wild pipefish that we quarantine here like we would our seahorse brood stock and uh, eventually offer for sale. But uh, as far as other tank baits besides pipefish, different gobies, um, pretty much any of the small gobies that are, you know, under three, two and a half, three inches are fine to keep with them. Cardinal fish. A lot of our customers keep like the pajama cardinal fish with them. And what else, Kapil? Um, you know, we, we do recommend some of the smaller fairy wrasses, leopard wrasses. Really? Pretty well with them, especially since they do like some of the same. Yeah. Yeah. With angelfish. And uh, with larger angels, we would avoid, but some are like the really small dwarf angels, so like the cherub or the Atlantic pygmy angels, that's probably the most popular one that we sell to keep with them. Uh, clownfish, um, the one thing you got to be careful with clownfish is, is sometimes they can mature, and this, and this is an issue with clownfish in any tank, whether it's seahorses or not. Uh, sometimes a pair can start mating and, and sort of become aggressive around their, their territory, but Clownfish are something that are kept. Royal Gramas. Um, uh, what else do we sell? Mandarin um, gobies? Mandarin. That's probably the most popu popular tank mate that we do sell for them. They do pretty well. The Dragonets, the Scooter Dragonets, which is one of their cousins, does really well. Invert-wise, you know, uh, smaller crabs, like emerald crabs. A lot of people have a misconception. Crabs are aggressive and... Some crabs are aggressive, but like emerald crabs. Why am I not remembering the name of the... The ruby red crabs? The ruby red crabs and um, porcelain crabs. Uh, we reckon, uh, Hermit crab-wise, we like uh, blue-legged hermit crabs. Um, if you get small blue-legged hermit crabs, sometimes your larger seahorses can eat them. But I call that enrichment. <laughs> um, we, we sell scarlet hermit crabs. <laughs> But we have a polka dot hermit crab that works really well with them. You'd want to stay away from large predatory hermit crabs or any crabs. Uh, Starfish-wise, um, we have these uh, orange um, spiny starfish. Uh, they're probably the coolest starfish. I'm a fish person, but really good for the most part. But that's We're losing you. Say that again. I was saying we're losing you. You're oh. cutting out real bad. Sorry. Where did I cut out last? I I couldn't tell you. There's like I think the last four species that you said. <laughs> rather than uh rather than that, it sounds like there there's a whole okay. list. And I I do see a list here on your website. Again, seahorsesavvy.com. And it looks like that you guys even have a wonderfully diverse list of uh, uh seahorse safe uh fish that people can look through. I certainly uh, recommend that because there's a ton of species apparently that can go with seahorse, which again, another misconception I had. Um, is there any type of shrimp that you would worry about with, uh, with, with fish? Cause again, I'm trying to think of everything in a saltwater community tank that might be, uh, might be bad for them. Most shrimp species that you can keep in a community aquarium are fine with seahorses. Um, if you wouldn't, Keep it in a standard marine community aquarium. I probably would hold off on it. 
One thing to be worried about is if the shrimp is really small, like sexy shrimp or some of the small anemone shrimps, uh, they could potentially be food for the seahorse. Just the, they'll just eat them right out. What about uh, some of the other bigger shrimp? Is it just because they're potentially aggressive or what's the concern? Usually it's bigger, bigger, sometimes with like smaller peppermint shrimp. Sometimes some of the larger seahorses may go after them. But generally, if you're going to add shrimp to your tank, we recommend just sort of taking it down and putting it, placing it by the rock. And usually they seem to be fine. So what have we missed tonight in our uh, our questions of seahorses? What uh, what what facts should we know? And is this a species a species of fish that people should be going after as a beginner, or is this uh, a, a lot of risk and work? The one piece of evidence with tank mates that I would like to bring up is mixing species of seahorses. Um, it's really important to keep seahorses sort of species-specific. The Hippocampus erectus and the, the reed-eye seahorses are species that overlap, and they seem to do fine together, but we wouldn't recommend mixing any other species of seahorses. Uh, one or both species of seahorses seem to go downhill very quickly after mixing them. One One theory is that there's just different sort of gut fauna and um, once that transfers to each other, they they don't do so well. But seahorses as a beginner fish in the marine aquarium, um, a good chunk of our customers start out with seahorses as the first marine fish that they And most of our customers are very successful at keeping seahorses. Wonderful. So you, you do recommend it. It's not that just your customers get them as your first one, but you also recommend doing that. Yep. I mean, as long as they do their research and they understand, you know, the basics of keeping a saltwater aquarium, it can definitely be their first aquarium and they can be successful. A lot of times we find them to even be very successful because they research specifically what seahorses need and they don't have other reef tank experience. So they just research exactly what the seahorses need. And there's not other things that are a little different with reef tanks that, you know, get hung up in confusion. Such as like the temperatures, big one. A lot of people that keep reef tanks are used to the warmer temperatures, and that doesn't always transfer to the sea when they try seahorses. Is is there any particular type of lighting that you have to have? I mean, are they best kept uh, a little bit in the, on the dim side, or would you rather just have them lit up like any other aquarium? You can have it lit up like any other aquarium. If you're not going to have live coral in there, I would probably just keep lower lighting just to help keep algae down, and you don't necessarily need the brighter light or anything. But they can take, you know, normal reef tank lighting. If you have super high light, like metal halide, sometimes they can actually get like sort of like a suntan where they'll darken up. Um, but that's not always true. You know, it's based on a lot of different things as far as what color they display. But if your seahorses are super dark and you have really, really bright light, that's something you could try adjusting. It, and metal headlights. If you have a more wider spectrum, you know, like a, a run. I was saying if you have a more wider light spectrum, that can help enhance the seahorse's color versus having a very blue looking tank. So no black lights, no disco lights, <laughs> no black lights. <laughs> We're not as funny as we thought. <laughs> we have a uh, quite a bit of delay on our end, but uh, Adam, do you have any questions for, for these two? Um, you said that the saddles stay there permanently. Is this a good way of like, 
identification and that's how you can keep track of like because i know you were saying you had some freeloaders you just kind of go and go oh that one didn't do anything again this week uh you can go to the other tank do you keep like pretty a, much i mean they're saddling and their size that's kind of how we identify the individuals definitely have you been able to with your captive breeding pull out the ones that do that have like say you were saying there was some that have a thousand up to a thousand babies and they have a really good mortality rate. Do you save some of the babies from that to try to breed that line? Or do you just kind of mix and match right now for genetics? We use both wild breeding stock and then F1, which is, you know, the first generation. Uh, we don't really go much further than that because we want to keep up our genetic diversity and whatnot. But we do selective breed and we'll pull ones that have, you know, desirable traits such as growing fast, uh, ones that are, you know, more active. Of course, everybody likes the way they look. So some that are more you know, individually unique as far as their saddling or markings. And there's a lot of different, you know, favorable traits with them that we'll select for. Gotcha. And then um, have you ever been able to get leafy sea dragons or any of that in that family? We were working with, uh, we were working with weedy sea dragons. We're not currently working with them. Um, we did see some different courting behavior with them and everything. They're a lot of fun while we were working with them at the farm. Uh, we were not successful with breeding them, but they were definitely, you know, close. There's not very many places that are working with those guys. Um, there's a couple public institutions that have been successful with breeding them. I don't think in any very large numbers, um, but they're, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, those were good questions. Those were good answers. Thank you. <laughs> You know, I'd asked uh, earlier uh, to Adam and stuff, and I don't know if you guys heard, but I, I know like with, with kangaroos and stuff, there are other uh, mammals that also do the pouch thing. Is there anything else uh, in the marine world that does the pouch thing? Um, Some pipefish, the males also carry the fry. They don't really have like a true pouch as far as I know with most species like the seahorses do. A lot of them will just actually like carry the eggs externally on the underside but there are some species that kind of have like a pouch um aside from those i don't other than like mouth brooders but that's not like a pouch no i can't think of anything else i think it's pretty much just sea or specific even the sea dragons carry their eggs on the back of their tails so they're very very unique in what they do and 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 do you think it's just because definitely do you think it's just because the females are so damn lazy is that why this is happening (laughs) i mean i'm just wondering (laughs) Well, thanks for Those our three percent of female man. listeners. I was just trying to—I was just trying to offend everybody. It is Christmas, <laughs> and she's got no answer for me. There's a delay in the. They're line. considered the most evolutionarily survived species. So the male will carry the fry while the female, or carry the eggs while the fry are developing, and then he gives birth. And meanwhile, the female can produce the eggs and get those ready, which are energetically costly. So the male does the work while she's producing more eggs, and it works out really well energy-wise. Um, for them to optimize how many fry they're producing. So a very efficient a species, very efficient. Humans should do that. They're efficient. They know what's up. They know what's going on. <laughs> I agree. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, uh, the other listening are interested in getting yourself into seahorses, certainly go to seahorsesavvy.com and you'll find yourself a, a wide variety of uh, seahorses. Now you did warn us to let the public know that you guys are now on vacation. Their last order shipped for Christmas, and you will not be shipping until the start of the next year. But uh, certainly get your orders in ready for the beginning of the year. SeahorseSavvy.com. Alyssa, 
I've got one other quick question. We, we've got a lot of uh, UK listeners, a lot of uh, people from outside of the country. Do you guys ship internationally by chance? We do not ship internationally. We ship anywhere in continental U.S., and we ship to Alaska and Hawaii. Um, but we do not export at this time, unfortunately. Yeah, because I know we'll get that question asked after the podcast. And so I thought I'd throw it out there for everybody. So just to eliminate. No, definitely. It's one that comes up. <laughs> comes up quite often. There's also a bunch of different articles on the website, too, which go over a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight in greater detail. So I, I definitely recommend checking those out as well. Well, wonderful. Again, seahorsesavvy.com. Check them out. Uh, Alyssa, Kapil, it's been fantastic having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having us. It's been fun. Well, perfect, guys. If you like what you hear, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the bottom of the website, you'll find uh, the link to, uh, you know, give us a couple bucks, help support the podcast, get the lights on. Uh, you know, support our sponsors like Joe's Trim Shack and, uh, you know, support SavvySeahorses.com because uh, they took time out of the day for us as well. But, uh, you know, even some merch. Again, thanks so much. And we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. So they had murdered my shrimp and then, like, had a f*** fest <laughs> over the <laughs> dead corpses of my shrimp. Maybe that's why. And Maybe the slaughter and not eating the slaughter of shrimp just got them in the mood. Well, I think I think there's something to that. So if you're trying to breed gudgeons for profit, just take them to your friend's house, put them in their shrimp tank, feed them about a hundred dollars worth of shrimp, and sell the gudgeons for two dollars a piece. Yeah.